Psalms 51. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this morning the introduction to the psalm, and then we're going to read in unison. Now, church, we don't read together in unison here often, so I'm asking that you help us in reading in unison verses 1 through 10. Let me read the introduction first. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Now, all together, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I want to speak on the subject of repentance. There are subjects that pastors are coming to avoid more and more often. Preachers in not just their preaching, their daily life and their teaching, not instructing their leadership to hit this subject. We understand the context. Most here have read their Bibles through and heard messages preached upon David's sin. And David, we won't go back to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, but we know what was in his heart. We often speak of falling into sin But folks, we don't fall into sin. It's a choice. Something presented and then we have to determine whether or not to obey God or obey our flesh. We see the conception in his heart and mind. Uh, I do not believe it was the first time upon the roof. I believe uh, there was something calculated there and uh, disobedience. David was a unique case. Study in the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We understand the Old Testament. People were not permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. But in David's case, he was unique in that he was, and the Spirit of God was not going to overlook this act of disobedience. Which means David had to repeatedly close out and tune out the working of the Spirit of God in his life. But he called Bathsheba. He committed Adultery, we don't like to call it that, but when we understand God's nature and the nature of sin, we'll be honest about how it's identified. There was not an affair that took place. There was not a relationship that happened. 
there was adultery and it disturbed God greatly. Now for the next 12 months, David had to live a life of duplicity. David uh, had to be there in person wherever duty demanded, but he was not there in heart because there was a great cover-up taking place. And for the next 12 months, David would operate as if everything were fine, but inside things were the opposite of fine. God would reveal this sin, but I'm sure he was giving him a space of grace to admit, to confess, and make things right. When David did not take those steps, God took the step of sending a prophet. Nathan, in a very uncomfortable circumstance, had to give him first a story. David had no idea the purpose of this story, but he spoke about a man who was going to receive a traveler. This man would come hungry, he knew that, and although he owned many sheep and many cattle and could have taken of his own, he did not. He went to a neighbor who had one sheep and treated that sheep like a pet. He took that sheep from him, made a barbecue dinner, and celebrated with that traveler an amazing meal. When David heard the story, he was infuriated. We know his response. He went outside the boundaries of Bible justice and said this man should die. Extremely harsh. God did not demand death for that kind of crime. He demanded restoration. And Nathan said, you have pronounced your own judgment. Now, David had a choice. David could have eliminated the prophet. He could have denied his sin. But instead, we see an act of true repentance recorded in Scripture. Now, David wrote half of the Psalms, 150 chapters of our Bible. Half of those came from the mouth of David by way of the Holy Spirit. Now, the uniqueness of this psalm is it is a personal confession. How many of you want your personal confessions made public to men? Now, we understand the nature of God's word and the nature of this revelation. But look what it says as an introduction to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after that he had gone to Bathsheba. This means when he wrote the words, now there would be music put behind this and it would be sung by the people, which means David went to the chief musician and said, we will make this psalm into music for the people to sing. That is one of the greatest declarations of anything we find in this chapter. A declaration of clarity and humility. And God would use this throughout thousands of years to help us all in understanding what biblical repentance is. Now here's what I want you to see this morning because... In our churches, people don't want to deal with sin. Families don't want to deal with sin. Preachers don't want to deal with sin. Individuals do not want to deal with sin. In order to live the Christian life, which is a life of holiness, we must first get honest with the nature of our sin and the nature of God, which will lead us to an understanding of biblical repentance. David lived a life of extreme deceit. Now here's what I 
believe repentance is a daily necessity. You're better off making those corrections daily instead of allowing sin to grow and take root because now we're looking at a great disaster. We understand his sin led to more sins. And now he's going to be dealing with extreme and grave consequences. But when confronted, look at the first words out of his mouth because we see in this psalm 16 desperate petitions if I've counted properly. It is have mercy upon me. Wash me, purge me, make me the ear of joy, hide thy face from my sin, create in me a clean heart, cast me not away, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Do you understand the desperation? And I do not believe the average person comes to church or lives his daily life with a desperate cry to God to keep things clean, to make things clean, to work. There's a religiosity that we see in our daily lives. There there is a going through the motions, a ritual that maintains a facade of spirituality when God wants to deal deeper and dig deeper and really address the realities of life. So much appearance on Sunday morning is simple deception based on what is done throughout the week. In church, there's no pastor whose duty is to bring you to repentance, but rather to preach things that will lead you to repentance. Repentance is ultimately a personal decision that says, I will make things right with God and keep things right with God, or I will live a life of duplicity. In this case... David's first plea was have mercy. Now, I believe we have to make this clear because repentance, the opposite of repentance is saying, oh, please don't make me pay a consequence. That's not what David is doing here. He's acknowledged his sin and now he's throwing himself upon the mercy of God. This is a matter of seeking forgiveness in God's mercy because forgiveness and mercy are not immediate or natural in the Christian life unless there is repentance. They are offered by God but not received by man unless there is first repentance. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. How many of you have experienced the loving kindness of God? You came to a point in your life it started at salvation. You got honest with God about who you were because religion had led you to lie. Lie about who you were, lie about your sins, lie about your need for God and destine you for hell. But at some point, the conviction of the Holy Spirit led you to a point of honesty, amen, where you cried out and said, have mercy upon me, O God. According to the multitude that I, I'm thankful not just for a tender mercy. I need more than just a tender mercy. I need a multitude of tender mercies to do what? To blot out my transgression. Now, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see the denial is over. The debating is over. The self-defense tactics are over. God had brought this to his attention repeatedly. By way of the Holy Spirit, it was denied. Now he'd bring... A man of God, and normally this doesn't fall pleasantly in the life of any person. But David was about ready to get honest. He was done 
hiding his sin. He was not about ready to say when he said have mercy, he wasn't saying, oh Lord, uh, let's move past this and allow me to continue on my, with my life. No, there's going to be a complete openness that we see in this chapter verse. Now look what it says, verse two, wash me thoroughly. What's one of the most obvious traits of true biblical repentance? There is a desire for total cleansing. This is in the life of your child, your personal life. When we truly repent of whatever sin it is, deceitfulness or lying or jealousy or envy or fornication or adultery or anger or whatever it is that God is dealing with in our lives, at some point when we get honest, we get real, we're going to ask for a total cleansing. If you desire after a long day and maybe it's raining, maybe you're working outside, maybe the elements, a little bit of mud, grease, whatever it is, you say, I don't want to wake up with this dirt, this grime, this stench tomorrow. So I'm going to make sure to properly bathe and wash myself. I'm thankful for a wife that likes to keep a clean house. I don't want to eat off of a dish that has not been washed properly. Now, let me ask you this. Why would we take more care and show greater concern for a dish that we'll eat off of than we do for a life that God lives in, a heart where God resides? We ought to come to church with a true sincerity of heart that says, God, I want to clean up, not just from the neck up. I want a heart that is, that is totally right, spot-free, stain-free. We've lived 15 years in foreign countries and almost on a daily basis saw people washing on a washboard by hand. I thank God for modern technology and for washing machines. But that takes a lot of work and scrubbing. And at the end, that's not a perfect cleansing. And a true heart of repentance says, God, would you take me to the washboard? Would you clean up this mess of a heart? We look too often at the condition of the sinner without Christ and their need for a true cleansing. But for the Christian, Christians, how it would change our churches, how it would change our homes. So much sin is simply hidden, denied, covered, uh, lied about, never discovered until we harden ourselves to the preaching of the Word of God and the working of the Holy Ghost because there is a natural tendency not to want God to dig deeper. And here's David in a heart of repentance. Look what he says, wash me, what? Thoroughly from my iniquity. Oh God, he's crying out, cleanse me. I'm tired of feeling dirty. I'm tired of hiding. I want you to deal with this, verse 3. Now, this is true repentance and acknowledging of all sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Oh, we've so distorted the Bible doctrines. Is if there was no need for repentance, if there was no need for prayer, if there was no need for cleansing, and and, uh, then there's a forgetfulness of sin. How many come to the... At least this point in your Christian life, where you've understood you cannot forget your sin. That wouldn't be healthy. That's God. God can forget sin. And we understand the steps to forgiveness. But you couldn't 
be forewarned in the future if you truly forgot sin. How terrible would it be for a child to forget the, the heat of fire or the pain of a, of a burn? natural things in order for us to address sin in our life and help others. And here's David a year later, and he's saying my sin is what? It's still, this is a warning, young people, to not get into sin. Because you do not have a memory like God's. You can choose to forget, and tomorrow is if you are living it all over again, the memory comes back. And here he is 12 minutes later. But he says, I'm going to acknowledge. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deny. I'm not going to place blame. Here's what the heart of unrepentance does. It continually points the finger. It, it continually gives an excuse. There is no repentance. As long as there's one excuse left in our mouths, there is no biblical repentance. He said, I acknowledge not a part of my sin." Not a tenth of my sin. Not a portion of my sin. Not what I need to maintain my self-esteem. Here's what I've seen in life from people when it comes to confessing their sin uh, and dealing with it. Nine times out of ten, people are dealing with a small portion of their sin. Because sin is not humbling. Sin is humiliating. Sin does not deviate us from our life's goals. It devastates us in our life's endeavors. Sin is not something that we can brush over, cover up, or hide. Here's the problem in life. When we overlook sin and choose not to repent, it's a matter of maintaining an identity that we want others to see and esteem that we want others to have an appearance that we want others to appreciate. And so, in our life's endeavors, there's so much that has to be hidden because if you knew me, all of that would be affected. Well, God knows you. The best thing you can do is address that personally before God has to address that. And God's going to pull back the curtains on the sin in the life of David for the kingdom to see, but not just that kingdom, but kingdoms and Christians throughout all generations. We're going to see. Don't you think that God could have hidden at least a few of the details? But he's going to reveal Uriah. He's going to reveal the letter that was sent to Joab. He's going to reveal the lies that were involved for 12 months to hide his sin and devastate those around him. He was going to reveal every consequence from Amnon to Absalom to Adonijah to Tamar and the death of this little baby. And here's what David's going to do. I acknowledge if you want to silence a church, you preach on repentance. If you want to suck the air out of a congregation, you preach repentance. If you want to remove the life, oh, our churches are filled with, there's so much life and vigor, preach repentance to that crowd. Vacate a few chairs, free up some parking spaces, and get real with God. I acknowledge, he said, my sin. Here's what he's going to do. 
You read the text, you count them between 30 and 35 times. Personal pronouns. I, me, my. It's not her. It's not them. It's not they. It's me, and I admit what I've done, and I'm done pointing the finger and casting blame. Here's what here's what Bible repentance says. There is an honesty and a transparency that all can see. Sin is so selfish. Because sin is never about me and the consequence. Sin affects so many people. Sin doesn't just devastate my life, it devastates those around me. And here's what he was not doing. When you sin, you cannot control what God does in laying out the consequences. Now here's what he told David fourfold. I believe there were numerous sins. So it wasn't just, I don't believe when his baby died, he said, that's one. I don't believe when Amnon died, he said, that's two. I don't believe when Absalom died, he said, that's three. I believe in the back of his mind, but there was more to pay for. There was not just the sin of murder. There was a sin of adultery. There was a sin of cover-up. I don't believe you need to get Scripture and begin to count fourfold for any one of those sins. I need you to be awakened this morning to the consequence, and your confession never mitigates the consequence. You don't determine the fallout. You determine the sin and the length and the time and the depth, but you don't determine the fallout. And there is a God in heaven that is holy and righteous. We have so misportrayed the Lord Jesus Christ in our churches. These pictures turn my stomach. A sissified Jesus holding a lamb in desperate need for you. He needs you. He desires you. He can't live without you. No, our God is a consuming fire with a son that died on the cross. And when he did, Christ poured out his wrath upon his own son because it was sin. In church, it is time for Christianity in general to open up their purposely closed eyes to a God that is still disturbed by sin. And David is going to come to this conclusion. And here's what he's not doing. He's not begging God to mitigate the consequences. He's already heard Nathan because Nathan not only confronted his sin, but he pronounced the consequence to come. And David said, that's part of my choices. And in this true repentance, he's saying, this is what I have done. I am to blame. There is a conviction. There is no true repentance without true conviction. The holy God had settled in his heart, a serious conviction. Look at his response in verse 4. Here's was, here was David's cry and plea against thee and thee only. Have I sinned? He's talking about his transgression. He's talking about his iniquity. He's talking about his sin. Here, 
never ever is there speech or confession of an affair or relationship. He said, this is crooked, this is perverse, this is evil, this is lewd, this is vile in the eyes of God. And there's nothing here to paint it with a pretty brush. It's against God. Now he understands that he sinned against Uriah and his family in Ahithophel and Bathsheba, his kingdom. But he said, the reality is, this is about a holy and righteous God that has established the rules. And you cannot, you cannot ever truly get right with God, excuse me, with anyone else outside of God until you get right with God first. You know what most people are trying to do? Try to make things right, semi-right with people, and then they don't understand. What's your problem? Why can't you forgive me? Why can't you just move past this? You're not repentant. Repentance is you falling upon the very mercy of a righteous and holy God that understands the depths of your sin and saying if it's not for his forgiveness, I'll never be forgiven by any man. and I don't deserve that forgiveness. There was an honesty here that said this is against God and against God alone. And look what he says. I've done this evil in thy sight. That, look at the last phrase of this verse. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And here's what we don't like. When our sin is revealed, we want to condemn those that are involved in the revelation. He said, God is justified in what he has revealed through this prophet. And I want to be clear about this. God is clean and clear in his revelation. Verse 5. This is not an excuse. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. What is David saying? And in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not making an excuse for his sin. He is making a statement about his character. He said, I am corrupt to the very core. I was born with a sin nature, and now we have a revelation of my sin nature. And instead of correcting the paths of my normal carnal flesh, I have allowed that to continue uncontrolled. Look what it says in verse Six, this is true repentance. Behold, thou desirest what? Truth. Truth. How many understand repentance is based upon the embracing of truth? Everything previous to repentance is based on a lie. Satan is the father of lies. And when there's true repentance, there is confession, honesty, Lies are abandoned and truth is magnified. Where does it start? Where does it start? What's it say? In the, not a superficial truth, but inside. God's rearranging the inside of David. Saying, David, all this denial, all this duplicity, all this defensiveness. When, when God did a cleanup in his heart. You know the first thing he got rid of? The lies. So David, you're going to have to be honest about this. You're going to have to be honest 
You're going to be honest with your kids. You're going to have to be honest with your family, David. You're going to have to be honest with your kingdom, David. Duplicity is done. And when someone repents, you know what they want? To reestablish their life on truth. There is an abandoning of those lies and saying, I know now that those lies have brought me to this point, to this destination, and the only way up and the only way out is through truth. It's not through the manipulation of facts or the manipulation of people or the manipulation of feelings. That brought me to this point. This is about God shining the spotlight on my sin and me being honest about it. What if God just revealed our weak? What if God revealed our conversations? What if God revealed our emotions? What if God revealed some of our thoughts? Church, in this day and age, duplicity is the easiest sin of any Christian because Christianity, for most, is about a two days out of the week or three hours out of the week and maintaining an image for a certain amount of time instead of a relationship with God that is 24-7. An awareness of the presence of God that says, He sees me on Monday afternoon and He sees me on Tuesday morning and I don't really care what Pastor Bob thinks. I care about what God thinks. My life's purpose is not to fool people into thinking I am a super pastor. You know I'm not. My life's purpose is not to fool you into thinking I'm a super husband. You know I'm not. My life's purpose is to every day grow closer to God so somehow I can benefit you and those around me and lead you into a relationship that is closer with God. Look what it says. Thou desires truth. God wants to put truth all the way in the depths of all hearts and beings. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And look what he says. He continues. He wants a spiritual purge. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We understand the offerings and the sacrifices in the Old Testament, and that's what David was dealing with here. And I don't want to go into the depths this morning, but he was saying... I need a spiritual purge that can only come from heaven. God, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to confess, but I understand the limitations of what I do. Even in my most spirit-filled moment, I understand my limitations. And he's saying, I need this to be a heavenly purge of my entire being where it purges my spirit, my lies, my facade, my falsehoods, my lips, my actions, my minds, my meditations, my memories. Oh God, do the supernatural that it can only happen from heaven to earth, from your DNA to my DNA. Look what he says, verse 8, make me to hear joy. What are we speaking about here? This is, oh God, I want to hear your voice again. Because our joy, listen, we have replacement factors for God. When our relationship with him isn't right, I still want to be happy. 
So I'll put into my life, whether that's the use of a credit card, more purpose in a job, a new car, a shopping spree, a vacation, a one-gallon bucket of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> if God cannot produce my joy, I've got a source. And I will eat. It'll give me joy at the moment. It'll take my joy later on. But right now, it's providing me some level. Isn't it amazing where we seek joy when God is not our source? He said, make me to hear joy. He said, that voice. Listen, when you've not been right with God, church and his voice and Bible reading, you, you know why church is not your supreme moment during the week of joy your daily devotion is not a supreme moment as far as a source of joy because you're not hearing from God. And David for 12 months had blocked up the very voice of God. This doesn't mean he'd stopped going to the temple. He'd stopped hearing from God. The Holy Spirit, who in David's life was a permanent presence, God told us that, was silenced. And every time he went to speak, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou was broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquity. You know what David had come to the conclusion? God had been looking upon this sin every day. And David reached a point where he said, God, I don't want you to have to look at this one more day. God, I don't want you to have to deal with this because, now here's the blessing. When we deal with sin, God doesn't have to look upon it or dwell upon it or deal with it. David said, God, I want this to be so clean and so clear. We move this off the plate. You, you, it's, it's blotted out. It's removed from your sight. It's done. It's passed. It's over. Isn't it amazing that how when we hide sin... It's daily in the life of others. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't. But your temper, your envy, no one can move past it because they have to live. They have to see it every day because you refuse to repent and remove it. They get to deal with your spirit. They have to deal with your frustration. Your, your kids do not choose to be bitter, but they've got to deal with your bitterness because you won't repent. They have to deal with your hatred, frustration in your marriage. And they did not get married and they haven't experienced marriage. And they're getting a bad idea of what marriage is about because you refuse to repent. Verse 10 speaks to the creator. Look what he says. Oh God. The one that created the sun to shine during the day and the moon to reflect light at night. The aardvark, the bear, the elk, and the moose. The mountains of Colorado, the distinct mountains of Alaska, the oceans of Cancun, the islands of Australia, Barbados, and even the small ones off the coast of Chile and Argentina. 
He spoke that with a word, and God now is creator, is vivid in the mind of David, and David's saying, okay, I can't do this, God. I'm asking you to perform another act of creation. Yes. God, yes. this heart is evil. It's wicked. It's stained. It's dark. It's blackened. And God, I want you to do, I cannot do this. I, I can't with a uh, drawing pad. I, I can't with technology. I can't with my ability. God, I need you to create in me a yes. clean, Good. clean heart. Amen. Church, we can't get through this, but would you at least take a couple of days and you get, just get this text and get on your knees and say, God, would you give me your heart concerning repentance? God, I don't, I don't want to live this life of duplicity. I don't, I don't want to find, if David could find himself a man after God's own heart, God's choice, Saul was not God's choice, David was God's choice. If David could find himself in this spot, who here can say, I'll never find myself in that spot? Cast me not away from thy presence because he knew God in his holiness should have, could have, would have. Because sin distances us from God and creates a gap in our relationship. And he was saying, God, you could just cast me off and I'm begging you, don't do that. You know what we see? You know what repentance is? A desire for the presence of God once again. A passion, oh God, I want you, once again, interactive in my life from, from morning until at night and even then in the middle of the night. Wake me up, do whatever you want to do in my life. But God, I don't want to go a day where this is about me and you're not even part of my life because sin has so separated us. Restore unto me the joy. And then will I teach you can't truly really be used to God until there's a repentant heart that does a clean up. Now look what happens, verse 15. We'll race through these last few verses. O Lord, open now my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You know what? As you truly get cleaned up, there's a restoration of praise and adoration for God. When you're not cleaned up, this is still about you, your position, your leadership, your facade what others think, and the cleanup says, oh, this is nothing. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care about my reputation. I care about God. Church, let me ask you this. When we see in the book of Joshua all that God was doing and Achan suddenly disobeys and Israel is hurt, when Joshua finds himself on his face before God. And God tells him, get up and deal with the sin. What's the first question brought up between Joshua and God? What about your great name? Church, I want to ask you about tonight. Did you realize everywhere you go, you carry his name? You're called a Christian. People that don't know the Bible, there are people in Austin further from the truth, further from the Bible. I'm talking about parents that have never known anything about God. They've never introduced them. They've never 
not a single Bible story in the Old Testament, New Testament, nothing about the knowledge of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so here comes a Christian, and the only thing they know about Christ or the God of this book is through your life. That's it. You know this. No matter whose family you're part of, whether that's a Dilworth or a Ronson or a Johnson or a Simpson or a Lewis, Whatever you do is tagged to your last name. Not that the rest of the family was involved, but you're part of the DNA. And everything you do is a reflection. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. Why would it reflect on grandma and grandpa? They don't even live here. But you share a last name. Guess what? Christian, everywhere you go, what this world knows about God, they only know it through you. Here's what David is worried about. God, I'm, I'm worried about your great name because here's what Nathan told him when he confronted him. You have given the enemies great reason to blaspheme. You know what God, people in God's church have done to the great name of God? Given this world great reason to blaspheme. There is not a month goes by that I don't talk to someone that says, I don't go to church and I don't believe in God and I'll never go back again to another place of worship because I know someone that called themselves a Christian. I know a pastor. I know a, I have a friend. Because although they're not Christians, they know what a Christian is supposed to look like, to smell like, and act like, and think like, and walk like, and talk like. You know what repentance is about? When you stop worrying about your name, you start worrying about his great name. Verse 17. No, let's go to 16. Thou desires not sacrifice. You know the difference between false repentance and Saul's life and David's life was? Saul said, we haven't killed all the Amalekites, but we brought the animals for the sacrifice. And what did the prophet say? This is not about a sacrifice. This is about obedience. And David said, I could bring a thousand lambs, I could bring 10,000 lambs. At some point, we see the dedication of the temple, a hundred thousand lambs. This is not about the amount of lambs or the sacrifice of the blood that's spilled. This is about a broken and contrite heart. And David said, I'm not going to bring another sacrifice until I clean up my heart. Look what he says, verse 17. What's the sacrifice God desires? The sacrifice of God are a what? broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Has anyone in here struggled to identify a broken and contrite heart? Why is it that we so easily identify that in the lives of others, but we think that God of all righteousness can identify that in us? You know what repentance leads you to do? Weep over your sin. Admit, confess, remove, deal with your sin. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's slander. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's just hatred. 
whatever that sin is that you have so brushed over and hidden so well, God said, we got a problem. And the only solution is biblical repentance. And church, you know what's not preached or done in our churches in 2023? Repent. And now we have Baptists standing up saying repentance is needed for salvation. Confession is not even needed among children of God. Thank God. Here's the promise. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, this is speaking to the saved. First John is not written to the unsaved, but to the saved. If we confess our sins, He, he is, we're not, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive. And uh, here's a good thing about God. Let me, let me finish. Let me finish so no confusion here. Level of repentance is based upon the level of sin in our lives. Here's why most people don't have victory or true forgiveness. If you have lived a life, we say all sins are the same. That's nice and it's cliche, but we do understand every sin comes with different consequence, looked upon very differently by God. And if you have a moment during the day when your temper got a little warm and you said the wrong thing, you can go to your child or that person that you misspoke to and said, listen, that was out of control and I'm sorry and I hurt you and I want to make sure that's clean and clear and right. You make it right with God, that's fine. But when we're talking about a sin that has been hidden and covered and developed for years, you better understand you don't just walk an aisle, kneel an altar and say, okay, God, this is over. Repentance isn't a one-step process. Repentance is you getting serious to begin to root that out, allow God to root that out until you and God have made things right.